Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. <laughs> I've been doing this pastor thing for a long time. Most Sundays I'm pretty nervous. For some reason I just feel pumped up today. I feel real pumped up today. I guess I'm excited. Last week Nick Dowdy stood up here and gave a fantastic message and, and really moved my heart, preached to my heart, and I guess it just makes me ready to come and share the Word of God. I feel like I've had to work a little harder for it this week. You ever have those weeks where you, man, just to do the normal stuff, you feel like you've had to work a lot harder just to get there? Well, it's one of those weeks for me, and now I get to share it. I get to share what the Lord has been speaking into my heart, and I'm excited about it. I'm very excited about it, but first, I want to show you a picture, just one picture. There's one picture up there that uh, I want you to, to take a look at, the very first one, the, the next one. There you go. That's the one. Okay, this picture here, it's made up of pixels. Pixels are the little blocks, little spots of color that make up a digital image. If you ever zoom in on a digital photo or some, some image like on a website, it gets uh, pixelated, right? It gets real blocky and weird. And I know on those spy movies that I watched growing up, they could zoom in indefinitely on a picture and it doesn't get grainy, doesn't get pixelated, but that's not how the real world works. A close-up image is lots of little pixels. So we're looking at this image here on the screen. I'm going to try to describe it for those listening to the podcast. And it's just a, it's a bunch of pixels on the screen. They're kind of dark places and light places, but it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because we're zoomed in really, really close. Now let's zoom back just a little to the, to the next picture. And we can see a, a little more. If you're starting to recognize this, don't give it away for the, everyone else in the class. We see a little more. We see that that, that dark area was only part of the story. There's more to the story than the dark area. There's some light areas as well. We can see more, see that something's going on here. It's a little more organized than it appeared at the first, but we can't quite tell what it is. So let's zoom out one more time. Aha, hey, no, now we recognize this. What do you see? The Mona Lisa perhaps the most famous artwork in the history of the world. But when it was zoomed in that close, you couldn't recognize it, could you? It just looked like a mess. When you're at the pixel level, it just looked like a mess. Most of the time, we live our lives at the pixel level. We are zoomed in on this little bit of life we are in right now, and it looks like a mess. It's hard to see how it makes any sense it, it, it's just a pixelated mess i'm here with the message from the lord that the pixels in your life the that that part of your life you're living now the minutes and moments and days and weeks those seasons of life are a part of something bigger and more beautiful than you realize if the lord allows you to live a long life you will get 2.5 billion seconds. 2.5 billion seconds of life. That's a lot. And if every second of your life was one pixel 
in a high-definition image, do you know it would cover nearly four football fields? That's how big your life is. You didn't know your life was that big. That's how big your life is. And a lot of those little pixels are going to be dark when you see them up close. You, you won't be able to tell what's going on. God may be painting the Mona Lisa in your life, but right here, right now, today, what you may see is a pixelated mess. Let me tell you, the last few weeks of working on this message, trying to get to this point, I've been seeing the pixels. <laughs> I haven't been seeing the big picture most of the time, and it really clicked for me the last few days that, that the pixels aren't the big picture. God is doing more in our lives than what we see in this moment. God takes every moment we live and He is weaving it into something beautiful. Even the moments we are not having fun. Did you have any moments this week when you were not having fun? Like, this is not a good time. This is not what I signed up for. I thought I prayed that prayer to Jesus. Now everything in my life is supposed to be honky-dory. Does anyone still say honky-dory? Just me? I don't even normally say. I don't know where that came from. But anyway, it's all part of the pixelated mess that I'm living in right now. God takes it, and he makes something beautiful. Easier to believe that in this room, right? Because we're in a safe space. We're in a refuge. You're here with people who believe and think more like you believe and think. And it's, it's easier to believe that God is doing work. But then the last amen will be said, and we've got to go out there into that cold world. And it's a little more difficult to believe that God is at work in every moment when we're out there. So this is where the Bible is a huge advantage to us. Because the Bible tells us the stories of heroes of faith. And it gives us not just the, not just the big picture, not just the, the little pixels, but both. We get the small incidents that make up the life and we get the whole life. And one of the best stories we can find that tells someone's uh, tale from early on to later on is the story of Joseph. We're wrapping up the story of Joseph today. Joseph from the Old Testament, not the Christmas story Joseph. We'll talk about him probably sometime in December. This is the Old Testament Joseph. If you want to flip to the next slide, and you can camp out there for a while. These are the scriptures we'll be in today. Uh, Genesis 45 is the main place we're going to be. Take us a little while to get there, though. We're going to see a lot of struggles in Joseph's life culminate into this beautiful image of forgiveness and salvation. Joseph grew up in Canaan, the promised land. He grew up with 11 brothers and one sister. Could have been one big happy family, except the daddy played favorites. Maybe some of you can relate to the sting of favoritism in the family and how that can can hurt i've told you before and i'll tell you again that the favorite child in my family is the is the the dog and uh he is a wonderful border collie and if you met him he'd be your favorite too so i i totally get that but uh you know i try very hard not to play favorites with my kids i, I love them all they're pretty awesome kids but in that family Joseph was the favorite, didn't ask to be the favorite, but he was the favorite. And so how did his siblings feel about him? Well, they hated his guts. <laughs> they did not like him at all. And uh, the hatred became attempted homicide when something happened. There was a catalyst that 
that took the family drama and turned it into a family crisis. You probably got some family drama, but what you really don't want is a family crisis. Joseph starts having these prophetic dreams, and God is telling him in his dreams that he is uh, that his brothers are someday going to bow down to him, and that didn't go over so well. They capture him. They were going to kill him, but they come up with a better idea. They're going to sell him into slavery instead, and that's what they do. Now, if you have some family members who are causing you a problem, I do not recommend that solution. Find a better way than throwing them in a hole and selling them. That's not going to fix the problem. That will give you bigger problems. So, Joseph's in a very terrible situation. If you zoom in on those pixels of that part of his life, it's dark, it's bad, it's a mess. It's, it's, he's taken to Egypt where he is sold to a powerful man. And he's a slave. What did the prophetic dreams tell him was going to happen? That he was going to be in a position of leadership, right? That he was going to be a great man. But he's not a leader. He's a slave. What does Joseph do in the midst of his very bad situation joseph worked his tail off he did so well at his work that his master kept giving him more and more responsibility and authority so that at some point joseph became the manager of the entire household though being a servant a slave really he learned to be a leader he became the real leader of that household so that the, the master, the owner, he only really worried about what was for dinner. That sounds like a good life. Just worry about what's for dinner. So Joseph is still a long way from the leadership position that God has promised him, but at least things are getting better. Kind of, sort of, right? Well, yes, until the plot twist. Can you say, dum, dum, dum? Thanks, my mom's got my back. None of the rest, all the rest of y'all left me hanging. Let's try that again. Maybe I'll do it in a lower register and you'll feel better about it. Dum, dum, dum. Plot twist. Did I mention to you that Joseph was an extraordinarily good-looking fella? He was so handsome, he was nearly as handsome as Billy Honeycutt, if you can believe it. He was a good-looking man, wasn't he, Billy? Well, let me tell you what. Let me tell you what. People noticed that Joseph was good-looking, including his boss's wife. Mrs. Potiphar noticed that Joseph was very good-looking, and she was determined to get him into bed. But Joseph, being the upstanding young man that he was, every time he heard Mrs. Potiphar turn on that certain Spotify playlist, he got real scarce, okay? He got out of there. But one day she catches him in the house by himself and no one else is around and she gets a hold of his clothes and he runs away so fast that his clothes rip off of him. Now that didn't help his case. I'm just going to say you probably need to get, invest in some higher quality clothes if they've been ripped off of you. But uh, so she's standing there with his shirt essentially in her hand and she is mad because she has been turned down and she accuses him of trying to rape her. What a serious accusation. So Joseph, seemingly without a trial, he was a slave. He didn't have any rights. He was sent to prison. Not for doing the wrong thing, but for doing the right thing. That's some dark pixels right there. Sometimes it's, it feels so much worse when we're, 
we're suffering when we did the right thing. You've heard the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. Feels that way sometimes. So he is in prison, and if I was him, I would have a hard time seeing how this fits into a bigger picture. This just looks like a mess. It's those, that zoomed-in, pixelated mess. You can't see what's going on. But Joseph keeps on being Joseph. That's one thing I like about this young man. He keeps on being who God made him to be. He holds on to his integrity. He is not just a prisoner, but he is a model prisoner. The warden notices how responsible he is and entrusts him with more and more authority to the point that although Joseph is still technically a prisoner, he's really the one in charge of the prison. Now listen, listen. Even if you are in a bad place, even if you're in a situation you've never counted on being in and you're dealing with stuff you never thought you'd have to deal with, you keep on being the kind of person God made you to be. Hold on to your integrity. Keep on doing the right thing. Watch what God will do through that. We always want to see our situation change or we blame the negative changes in ourselves on our situation and say, well, life made me into this kind of a person. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. I feel that too. But let's not overlook what God can do to change us for the better through bad situations. Growth is found in struggle. The dreams Joseph had at the beginning seem further away than ever. He's in prison. Things look bad, but he's hanging in there. He hasn't given up. He keeps on growing. He keeps on maturing in his faith. One day, Two new prisoners show up, and these guys are high rollers. They are important officials in the administration of Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. And re remember what Joseph's special gift is with dreams, right? His special gift is with dreams. Well, he overhears these prisoners talking about some weird dreams they had and how they couldn't make sense of them, how they felt sure they had meaning, but... Who knows what the meaning is? Joseph overhears that, and he speaks up and says, Hey, guys, I think I can help you. And God gave him the ability to interpret those dreams, and it turned out just like he said it would. Joseph predicted that one of them would be executed. Tough luck for that guy. And one of them would be set free, the chief butler. And that did happen. The chief butler was set free, and he was supposed to put in a good word for Joseph when he got back to Pharaoh. So the butler goes back, and Joseph's sitting there thinking, any day now I'm going to get out of this prison because the chief butler is supposed to put in a good word for me with Pharaoh and explain that he was never supposed to be in Egypt at all, and I'll get to go home. But does that happen? Plot twist. Help me out with the sound effect. Bum, bum, bum. That was a little better. We'll get you by the end. We'll figure it out by the end. We got more plot twists, all right? This, this story is full of them. No, he doesn't get out. The butler forgets all about him. The scriptures do not give us insight to Joseph's thoughts and feelings in this moment. But I can tell you how I would feel. I would feel so discouraged, devastated. The only thing worse than being stuck in a bad situation is thinking you're about to get out of it. And you don't. Uh, it's a problem. Two more years go by and nothing, no significant developments, nothing. Meanwhile, meanwhile, in the palace, 
Pharaoh has some weird dreams. And no one can explain these weird dreams. Suddenly, the butler remembers Joseph. About two years too late, buddy. But God's timing, turns out, was pretty good. And the butler tells Pharaoh about Joseph, who can interpret dreams. They bring him out of the dungeon, and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams so impressively that he is immediately appointed as the prime minister of Egypt. Now, let me tell you what, that's a good job interview right there. If you interview for the job, and they just, hey, you know what, we're going to let you run the whole thing. <coughs> that's the kind of job interview I want to have. I don't think I could pull that off, but you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. If I got that opportunity, I'm going to give that a shot right there. So uh, this, by the way, was not a ceremonial title. Joseph was not appointed to prime minister as just a way to say, hey, you know, you're a, a figurehead, you're a ceremonial figurehead. No, he had a big job to do. Because Pharaoh's dreams predicted big things ahead for Egypt. There was going to be seven years of prosperity, followed by seven years of famine so horrible, everybody would starve to death if they didn't do something now. They didn't take drastic action now. And Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of figuring out what to do. And Joseph does. He does fantastically. Just as he predicted, there are seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph made preparations during the years of plenty. He stored up a vast supply of grain, and it kept Egypt from starving to death. But the famine did not only hit Egypt. The whole region was impacted. The whole region of what we would call the, the Middle East around Israel. We, we would, that whole region was in a famine. So people from all over came to Egypt to buy grain. As a result, the Egyptian empire grows in wealth and power, and so does Joseph. And everybody who comes to buy grain must go through him. They have to meet with him because it is such a precious resource that you can't just buy it in the store. You have to actually go through him. The land of Canaan, the promised land, was also hit by the famine. Wait a minute, living in the promised land, I thought you were not supposed to have any problems, right? Okay, maybe not. Not scripturally. Not scripturally. Actually, when Abraham went to the promised land, the very first thing that happened was a famine. And God tested him with that. So... Don't think that just because you're trying to live in the will of God or that you're in the will of God that everything's going to always be perfect because that is not the promise we have from the Word of God, the promise He'll be with us all the way. Amen? He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Hmm. Well, even the most successful farmers in Canaan were brought to the point of starvation. And this included a large family with 11 sons and one daughter. The father of the family sent 10 of his sons to Egypt to buy grain. He kept the youngest one at home because he's worried something would happen to him. He was, uh, he, this youngest son had, another, uh, had a full brother, and that full brother disappeared or died years ago, and the, the dad could not bear the thought of losing the other son. When the brothers arrived in Egypt, they had to appear before the prime minister. Who is the prime minister of Egypt in this story? Joseph. And who are these men bowing to the ground in front of him? Bum, bum, bum. Plot twist. His brothers. 
His brothers are bowing down to him. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. Just as the dreams predicted, his brothers are bowing down before him. They're at his mercy. The opportunity for revenge seems to have come. Now, who could blame him if he sent them away to starve? Because if he just says, hey, I'm not, I'm not selling you grain, they would have to leave and potentially starve to death. Or he might say, I'll just throw you all in prison. You deserve nothing less. Or he could have made them all a slave. And it would be kind of hard to blame him, at least from a, an earthly perspective, right? I mean, they, we would say they had it coming. We might even argue that it, it appears the Lord himself has created this opportunity for Joseph to get his revenge. So what will Joseph do? What would you do? Well, the pixels on this little part of the picture seem pretty clear that, you know, we would expect him to take revenge. So what does Joseph do? Well, he doesn't seem to make a decision right away. He doesn't reveal his identity at that time. And he doesn't tell them that he knows how to speak Hebrew. He speaks to them in Egyptian through an interpreter, and he asks them where they came from and about their family. Of course, he knows all of this. He's testing them to see what's going on. And they explain, explain they're from the land of Canaan. They're, they're a part of a, a large family. Their father has uh, had 12 sons, and one of the sons is at home with dad. The youngest is at home with dad. And then another brother uh, is no more. How do you like the way they worded that? Say, so, and the... the the other is no more. And they don't know that the one that they are talking about is right in front of them. Have you ever watched somebody just dig themselves a hole? Like such a hole. Um, normally the person who's digging a hole in my presence is me. You know, I'm a, anybody else an expert hole digger? And you just keep on digging, keep on digging. And, and usually you're in front of your spouse as you're digging this hole. And you just keep on digging. My wife is not at the service this morning. She'll be at the evening service, and you guys are cool and won't tell her anything about what I say, right? We good? We cool? Just, just all of us here and the how many ever hundreds of people who listen to the podcast. It's our little secret, okay? All right. So, yeah, I just dig myself a hole, and then I fall right in it. That's what I do. So they're digging themselves a hole. Oh, our brother, he's, he's no more. <laughs> jo- what's Joseph thinking at this point? We really don't have that insight the scriptures don't tell us we just know the action that he took he he accuses them of being spies he says you're spies who've come to see how weak egypt has become because of this famine and they're like no no no, we're not spies we swear we swear we're not he he throws them into prison for three days get a little taste of that y'all see how you like that so I don't know where his heart was in that moment. I don't know if he was being led by the Spirit of God to toss his brothers in jail, but I could see how that action might come from another place inside one's heart. Um, now, listen, some of y'all grew up with siblings, and if you could have tossed them somewhere for about three days, you would have. Don't even begin to deny that. So uh, while they're in prison, he must be figuring out what to do. He brings them out and tells them, if you are not spies, then Leave one brother with me and go back and get your youngest brother you talked about and bring him here and let me see him. And when I see him, I will believe 
your story. So the brothers have a heated discussion in their native language, not knowing that Joseph understands every word they're saying. They, they say, ah, well, you know why this is happening, don't you? Because of years ago and what we did to our brother Joseph and, and he begged us to let him go and we didn't. Reuben, the oldest brother, speaks up and says, didn't I tell you not to hurt him? Didn't I tell you to leave him alone and, and not do anything to him? And now his blood is on our hands or as we would say in the country, it's come back to bite us in the tail, boys. It's come back. And here we are. Joseph hears all of this. He gets so choked up, he has to go into another room and cry. And he comes back out, and he has one of the brothers, Simeon, bound up and put in prison and tells them, don't come back here without your youngest brother. And he sends them on their way. In the meantime, he tells his servants to fill their sacks with grain. Now remember, that's the reason they came to Egypt, to get grain. And he secretly has his employees put the money for the grain back into the sacks. Ooh. So the brothers leave town, and somewhere they stop along the way, and they discover, hold on, there's money. The money is back in our bags, and they're, they're flipping out because they're thinking, oh, my goodness, this guy dealt with us so roughly, and now he's going to think we are thieves. And they get back, and they explain it all to their father, Jacob, and he is incredibly upset. He's like, oh my goodness, what have you done to me? I've already lost Joseph, and now Simeon is locked up, and you're, you're asking me to send Benjamin out and risk his life, and on top of this, they're going to think you've stolen this grain and taken your money back. What have you done to me? There's no way you're going back to that place. But of course, the famine continues, and the food runs out again, and they're going to starve to death. So they don't have any other choice but to go back to Egypt. And Jacob very reluctantly allows them to take Benjamin along. When the brothers arrive in Egypt, oh, by the way, he said, um, going back, take the money back that was returned in your sacks and, and take a double payment for the next purchase. So they're traveling with three times the money that they had before. So they go down to Egypt and they try to explain about the money. How would you like to explain that? Say, I tried, I swear I tried to pay for this. The cashier put my money back in the bag. I, I don't know. But Joseph's servant says, as I'm sure Joseph had prepared him, he said, don't worry about that. God must have put the money back in your sacks. So you just don't even worry about that a bit. God has given you a gift. Um, then they're invited to a feast at Joseph's house. Simeon is released, so the brothers are together, and, and they're all in Joseph's house. And when Joseph arrives, he sees Benjamin, and he becomes so emotional, he's got to leave the room and cry again. He's just so upset. The brothers still don't know it's him. He looks like an Egyptian. He sounds like an Egyptian. They don't know it's Joseph. So they're really surprised when he comes back in and seats him at the dinner table from oldest to youngest. That must have really blown their minds. And he feeds them all so much, puts a lavish feast before them, and he gives Benjamin five times more than the others. He sends them on their way, 
again with their sacks full of grain. Again, he has the money put back in their sacks. And one more thing. He has his servants secretly put this special silver cup into Benjamin's sack. And they go on their way. They don't know anything about it, except Joseph then sends soldiers after them to catch them. And uh, they say, how is it, why have you stolen our master's special silver cup? And they're like, whoa, whoa there's got to be some kind of misunderstanding. We are not thieves. If you, if you find the cup on us, it's okay if you just want to um, take the person. We're so sure that we don't have the cup that if you find the cup on any of us, you can take them and make a slave of them. But guess what happened when they opened the sacks? There it is in Benjamin's sack all along. So they go back to the city. And how do you explain your way out of this one? It looks like Benjamin is going to be condemned to slavery. But at that moment, another plot twist. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. One of the brothers, Judah, steps forward and offers himself in place of Benjamin and says, no, 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 take me instead. Now, this is such a change from the people who threw Joseph in a hole. Something has changed in these brothers, or at least in Judah. And by the way, the tribe of Judah was not particularly prominent until this moment. And guess what tribe Jesus came from? The tribe of Judah. This is the moment where Judah became an important tribe when he offered himself as a sacrifice for others. Is that foreshadowing? Is that, is it, God's like a good writer, y'all. He's real good at storytelling. His great stuff, man. That gives me the chills. I got the Holy Ghost chills. And I ain't even Pentecostal. Well, not that much anyway. Woo! Just, just when I got the mic in my hand, that's all. Um, so yeah, this is the moment where Joseph knows that change has come. He tells all the servants to leave the room and he reveals his identity to his brothers. And they are terrified. They think, oh my goodness. He's finally going to get his revenge on us. They're seeing the pixels, right? They're seeing the little zoomed in place. But Joseph sees the big picture. Now we're actually going to read some scripture. Let's see the big picture in Genesis 45 verses 4 through 8. And uh, it goes like this. Joseph said, uh, please come closer. He said to them, so they came closer. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. Doesn't pull any punches. They sold him into slavery. He didn't say, ah, well, you know, accidents happen. <laughs> you know, he didn't say anything like that. But listen, here's what he does say. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into this place. Catch this. Do not miss this. It was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve your lives. Who sold Joseph out? His brothers. But who was really doing the sending? God. Verse 6. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting Verse 7, God has sent me here ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and preserve many survivors. 
So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. The things that happen to us appear to be done by people who want to hurt us or the circumstances of life can seem to be so against us. And we can't see the big picture that it's God who's doing the work through the stuff that happens. There's so much in your life that's going to hit you and you didn't see it coming. God saw it coming. And you're going to say, well, why didn't God stop it from happening? I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you in the big picture of the story of Joseph that sometimes what looks like is going to be the death of you is what saves everybody's life. Joseph saw the big picture. There's so many dark pixels in his story. He was abandoned and betrayed time and again, but in the end, he saw the good God brought out of it. The brothers are the one that sold him out, but God's the one that sent him there. God had a plan for it. Their betrayal played into the plans of God. God can even take betrayal and turn it into salvation. See, we live our lives in the pixels. We live our lives in the struggle of the moment. And it's hard for us to see how these little dark blips we're living through right now can ever add up to anything bigger or better. But God can turn every painful experience into victory. And we see that in Joseph's story. Joseph was able to save his entire family from this famine. Not only that, but he brought them all to Egypt and the extended family with his, his father and uh, and the brothers and their families, about 75 people went into Egypt. And a few hundred years later, at the beginning of the book of Exodus, that extended family group of 75 or so people has become a nation of several million people. God blessed them through that. Genesis 50-20 is a perfect summary of Joseph's perspective, his big picture perspective, and... Maybe a good verse for somebody who's receiving this today. It goes like this. But as for you, he's speaking to, this is Joseph speaking to his brothers at, near the end of his life. But as for you, you meant it evil against me. But God meant it for good. Say that with me. God meant it for good. In order to bring it about this day to save many people alive. But as for you... The devil means it as evil against you, but God meant it for good. It would have been amazing enough if Joseph was able to forgive his brothers. But the big picture was a much bigger picture. God used the darkest pixels to bring out the greatest good. You know, God specializes in taking even evil intentions and turning them to good. The people who betrayed and crucified Jesus, their intentions were evil, right? Evil. At least against Jesus. Whatever they thought they were doing, they were evil. And God brought it to good. Let me tell you, the crucifixion, that was a 
dark section of the picture, right? That was such a dark section. That was the dark pixels. The three days in the grave, that was dark. But the big picture wasn't just the crucifixion or the burial. The big picture was the resurrection. The betrayal of Jesus didn't ruin God's plans. It played into God's plans. Here in this season of thanksgiving, we need to remember the reason the Word of God says in everything give thanks, it's not some pie in the sky ignoring all the problems kind of thankfulness where you just put your fingers in your ears and say, la, 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 everything's fine, everything's good, I'm not scared of the dark, there's no boogeyman. No, the thankfulness we have is when we stare right into the eyes of the boogeyman and say, God is good and he is bigger than you. We can be thankful for pain and struggle. We can be thankful even for betrayal and abandonment. We can learn to see past the pixels to the big picture. That's how we forgive enemies. That's how we find the good in every trial. God is at work in your life right now. I don't know what your life looks like today. I know what my life looks like today. I, I got a week coming up that I don't really want to do next week. Anybody else on board with me? It's like, okay, next week, can we skip that? Let's just skip right to Christmas. Who wants to skip to Christmas? Just wave at me. Some of you are like, I ain't done my shopping yet, preacher. That's what, that's what Amazon Prime is for. Get your Christmas shopping done in the next two days. We're going to jump right to December 25th, and we're good. All right? It's good stuff. I, I got this week coming up I don't want to do. I don't want to do this week. But you know what? God's going to do great things this week. My hope and my prayer is that by the time I stand before you next week, God's going to have done some things that I couldn't see coming through the things that I didn't see coming. God is that good. I just want you to know that you can trust God in the midst of trials. And you can trust Jesus in the midst of whatever you're facing. And my best advice to anyone is to believe in Jesus and be saved and trust Him with all the details. He will work them out. He does know what he's doing. And then, hey, if you ask me when I'm having a bad day, I'll still tell you the same thing. It's just a little harder to believe it on a bad day, right? You know, it's like, okay, God, I know this is true in my head, but it doesn't feel very true right now. But it's still true. It doesn't have to feel true. It is true. I want us to pray right now. I think we got some people. If you, if you need to do some business with God, you just pray right where you are and you receive this. And if you need to be prayed for, grab somebody and be prayed for today. Heavenly Father, mighty God, you are at work. You are a big picture God in a world where we can only see a little bit. Thank you for the message of Joseph's life. And I pray in Jesus' name that you will speak to us through the difficulties through the struggles through the the pixels in this picture it's all we can see i pray that you'll show us more and more that you can be trusted for the big picture i want to pray for anybody now who's never trusted in jesus and they may give their heart and life to to him and be saved lord god i pray that you will lead us and take care of us god show us that you can be trusted in jesus name amen amen hey next week we have something very special happening Billy, Lord willing, is going to come do his pottery ministry here on a Sunday morning. So make sure you'll want a front row seat for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, the week after that, we're doing the Lord's Supper. Let me tell you a little bit about the Lord's Supper. The way we do it is very special. We have people from 
just about every conceivable religious background in here. About every flavor of church, there's somebody here who's representing that that in their background. We do the Lord's Supper. We do communion in a special way. We sit at tables. We make it a little more like a family event. You want to be here for this. That is December the 12th. You want to be here for this. Next Sunday after the service, we got to move a lot of chairs. Yep, these big, comfortable chairs. we got to move them all to one side. So we're going to need a lot of hands next week. So I appreciate anybody who can help with that. God bless you all. I'm so glad you're part of what we're doing. Thank you for your prayers for me and my family. I'm going to pray for you and yours. I'm going to send you out with a little music. I hope you all have a wonderful, fantastic day. And God bless you.